Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. This week we're hitting up another request. This came from Ashley via our Facebook page. She sent us a message direct saying, I just listened to your Sleepaway Camp episode. Please do the sequels and the Slumber Party Massacre sequels. Ha ha. Thank you, Ashley, for this request. Uh, We probably will start doing some Sleepaway Camp uh, sequels at some point, but because we had recently watched Slumber Party Massacre, I suggested to Craig this would be a good week to do Slumber Party Massacre 2, which is a movie that I was so intrigued by as a kid. The cover art was... The first one is very suggestive, right? With those girls kind of half nubile rolling around on the floor with a guy standing over them and a drill coming out between his legs. <laughs> uh, and, and this one um, is a bunch of girls kind of half standing, half on the ground, and a guy who looks like, I don't know, like he came out of an 80s heavy metal band or something, standing uh, with his leather jacket and all leather and a wicked, wicked-looking huge guitar with a drill on the end, also aimed downwards from his crotch. <laughs> so... <laughs> we talked from our Slumber Party Massacre episode that this is a series of movies produced by Roger Corman, and they all happen to be directed and written by women as well. Go go check out our episode for the first one. The first one was written by noted famous feminist author Rita Mae Brown, and we talked quite a bit about that and tried to uh, do our best to kind of deconstruct what ends up being a silly movie. This movie, um, my history with it, I know I saw it on USA Up All Night. And I think the movie's even weirder with commercial breaks because (laughs) it's already pretty odd. And I remember it being very disorienting and very amateurish feeling and also just kind of like, what is this supposed to be and what is going on? Like, I was so aware I was watching a movie that some people made. It's just weird. This movie is so weird, Craig. It's not the strangest thing we've seen, I guess, but I was really anxious to come back to it and see if it was as weird as I remembered it being, and it was even a little more bizarre than I remembered it being. So anyway, that's my grand master view on everything. <laughs> How about you, Craig? What was what was your experience with this movie previously? I don't know. It's funny to me that you say, oh, Slumber Party Massacre, it's been something we've been wanting to do for a long time. It's been something you've been wanting to do for a long time. Yeah, of course. Okay. (laughs) The royal we. (laughs) Yeah. And so we just did it recently, and it was pretty bad. And so (laughs) then... Oh, just weeks later, you're like, let's do Slumber Party Massacre 2. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> only be only in service to our fans, Craig. You know I would never suggest if, this if Ashley hadn't brought it up. Uh, uh, yeah. Fair enough. And I do also <laughs> have to be fair because every week we talk about a movie and then we turn off our recording devices and, and then we chat for a while and... We talk about what we're going to do next week, and I'm always like, oh, well, we'll think about it, and we'll, you know, we'll come up with something. And then I never recommend anything, so... Yep. <laughs> yep. So it always falls on me, so you get what you get. It gets to, like, Thursday <laughs> or Friday, and you're like, okay, well, here's what we're doing. And I'm like, okay. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> One of these weeks, you'll wise up. I guess. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know anything about it other than what we've already talked about in having talked about this, and then uh, they're also related to the sorority house massacre movies. Sort of. So we, we've talked about several of them. This has come up. We've talked about the whole rock and roll guitar uh, drill shtick. I'd never seen it. Uh, I don't remember specifically being drawn to it in the video store. Really? Well, I imagine I probably saw it, but thought it looked really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I've said before, like, that's usually not what I seek out. Like, that's true. You know, every once in a while, I'll come across a movie that is stupid, but that I'll think is really funny or clever or or just funny in how bad it is. But that's not usually what I'm seeking out. It's just usually something that I stumble upon. And so I never watched this movie, and now I have. <laughs> What's funny, it's, it's funny to me because, uh, honestly, I was really surprised to see that it is a direct sequel. It's not just, oh, it's another slumber party, and oh, there's another killer. No, it's a direct sequel to the first movie. It is. Surprising. I didn't remember that either, and I wouldn't have assumed that. Well, because it doesn't have to be. Like, I don't know if they wrote it intentionally for it to be a direct sequel. I imagine they probably did, but it could have just been another slumber party movie, and they just made one of the characters one of the characters from... The previous movie. The beautiful girl next door, Valerie, had an annoying little sister, (laughs) Courtney, in the first movie. And Courtney is now, I don't know, older, still a teenager, 19 now. Supposedly. I I think she was supposed to be 14, 15 in the first movie, and so now she's like 19. And um, the setup... I actually kind of liked like yes. she's she's still dealing with the aftermath of what happened in the first movie in the opening scene she's dreaming and at first she's dreaming about the dreamy boy Matt that she has a crush on but then it switches into these um flashbacks from the first movie and they're recreated flashbacks because it's not the same actress um from the first movie uh in this movie courtney is played by crystal bernard who if you are our age in your 40s ish you will probably remember from the sitcom wings the sitcom wings was about this little regional airport and um she played the cute i I think she was like the airport manager or something i don't know she's tiny she was blonde and had big blonde hair in that movie she has big brunette hair in this movie but she's cute and i remembered her from that and i was like oh yeah her fun so, you know, <laughs> she she dreams of this cute guy, but then it cuts to flashbacks, and then she wakes up, and her mom, played by Jennifer Rhodes, who was in everything in the 80s mm. and 90s, tons of TV and movies. I remember her. She played Veronica's mom in Heathers. She also played, like, the grandmother patriarch in the Charms television series. They talk about how Valerie is now in a mental institution because she's so plagued by her trauma 
of what happened in the first movie. Yeah. And and so so that's the setup. You get this foundation. Everything that happened in the first movie happened. Um, and now we've got this one recurring character and we're going to follow her. Then from that point on, the movie just makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> it just is it is entirely nonsensical. There is no explanation for anything. Yeah. It's only an hour and seventeen minutes long. You get halfway through the movie and nothing has happened. Yeah. Aside from weird dreams and visions and flashbacks and then the killer shows up and starts killing people it's insane (laughs) it's one of the weirdest things plus i guess that now would be as good a time as any to mention that it's a musical (laughs) yeah in a way there are musical numbers in here at least three multiple yeah Yeah. I described this to a friend of mine today. I said it, it was mostly a girl's dreams about the killer and her sister, and then the killer pops up in the last 20 minutes and then drills through pretty much everyone rather quickly. While singing a big production number. And yeah, and, and until there are two of them left, and then there's a really long and boring chase scene through a construction site, and then the killer is this rockabilly guy who thinks he's funny, and at one point he stops and does a song and dance number for us, for us, for the camera. Oh, yeah, breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's. I think it's trying for that Freddy thing. I I mean, it's not trying very hard, but it's definitely trying to be that, you know, Freddy kind of morphed from being this terrifying killer in the first two or three movies to this jokester character who would break the fourth wall. I think in the fourth one, right? Yeah, right. I don't know. Wink at you and talk to you and... and, uh, and, and say funny things. And, and this was obviously trying to ape some of that with this rocker character who actually wasn't a bad dancer and wasn't bad, I think, at what he was given to do. I would imagine he probably had to improvise a ton of what he was doing. So, uh, you know, there was that. But it's it's super campy and hammy. Yeah. You know, what what he is doing. I say stuff like this all the time, and I don't know if anybody else appreciates it, but I come from a theater background. Um and I feel like this could be really, really fun on stage. Like, mm. it, it's so campy. It's super, super campy. It's like yeah. uh, Psycho Beach Party kind of camp. And maybe that would work really well on stage. And I don't know. Like, as I was watching it, I was trying to think in what scenario this movie would be fun. And I thought, <laughs> well... If I was a teenage girl in the 80s and I was mm. having a slumber party, this might be funny and and fun and silly. Yeah. Or if I was at a drive-in and was more focused on, like, making out and this was happening in the background... That might be good atmosphere because you wouldn't really want to watch the movie anyway. Like you would just want to be making out, and so like (laughs) (laughs) making out to the sweet, sweet sounds of a drill going. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, I imagine there is a time and place where this could be a lot of fun, and it did really well. Like. Oh my god! It it did super well in video stores. It was one of the top-selling VHS cassettes in the year that it came out. 
I can't explain to you why. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it wasn't was. critically well received at all, but you're right. It made 1.5 million on like a half a million dollar budget and and the VHS sales alone and probably rentals, I mean obviously. But with a cover like that, it's kind of hard to beat, I think. You're going to rent it just cuz you're curious cuz it's so different. I mean, that's one thing I do appreciate about it. I keep thinking we need to do a theme week, a theme month, because there aren't that many of these like heavy metal themed horror films. Yeah, we've done a couple. We've done one, maybe two, and there are maybe only like four or five more that I'm aware of. This was in my list, like to do for that kind of thing. I don't know if it really fits the bill, but it's got a little bit of that vibe, that idea of like, well, I guess the killer is this rock and roll guy. We don't know where he's come from. We don't know why he's there. No. He just is in her dreams. That really frustrated yeah. me. I know, that, but that, that really frustrated me because though it is a direct sequel, it's not the same killer, or at least I don't think it's supposed to be the same killer. They never allude right. to the fact that it is the same no. killer. It's certainly not. Or that it's the ghost of the same killer or anything like that. Like... I, I said that the flashback scenes are recreated. One of the main flashbacks that you see is Courtney hiding under a couch as the killer walks nearby. And so you just see her hiding under the couch and you see the killer's boots. And the boots are the new killer's boots because they're like True. these like rocker cowboy silver tipped leather boots. So like there's that connection, but that's the only thing. Do you know. think that it's trying to retcon the original by making it seem like this guy was the killer in the original? I don't think that it's trying that hard. No, I don't because because yeah. Cor- Courtney never says anything like he's back or they don't acknowledge one another as though they recognize each other like he's just after her for inexplicable reasons. Yeah. And Courtney like early on she oh god i mean there's there's silly stuff like after she you know has breakfast with her mom or whatever she walks to school and she sees a dead bird like and they make act like that's gonna be a big deal and it's not unless a Mm -hmm. dead bird is supposed to be an omen or something i don't know well i think there was implied either it was in her dreams so seeing it kind of pop out of her dreams is weird or it was implied that was a shot from the previous film I don't remember. Then she gets picked up by one of her friends, and they have this whole sing-along in a car. Now, like, yes, (laughs) when I was in high school, I drove around with my friends, and we sang, like, to the radio. That's something that we did, but I don't know that I need to see a full performance in this car. Like, (laughs) It's like the whole song. (laughs) I know! So weird. It is weird. I, I f- there are two things I think are going on here. Number one, uh, especially because I was curious about all the music, so I went back and I watched the end credits and I looked up some of the people in there. One of them was a girl band uh, called Weekend Wednesday, which sounds a lot like Tuesday morning, but oh well. Uh, it was a girl band in L.A. at the time, contributed one or two songs to this. And Courtney is a member of a girl band. Yeah. And 
one or two of these musical numbers that we that we hear are from that band. So I kind of feel like there were some deals made on the production end to try to help promote these bands or to try to get a good soundtrack going. That's know? it, exactly. It crossed my mind that they were trying to build a soundtrack album. I didn't look to see if there is one. I hope not. My God. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the it's, songs aren't good. I mean, they're it's just not like, mediocre. They're just mediocre, right. The performances aren't terrible. I mean, no. you know, it's not like they're comically bad. It's just cheesy 80s music with, you know, and they're a cheesy 80s girl band and they're all, you know, sexy and very enthusiastic and, you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, the um, sexy guy Matt like pulls up alongside them while they're singing in the car and they invite him to come to their band practice and he does so he watches them perform and they're like step touching in unison and the <laughs> the the drummer is really enthusiastic and but they decide that they're going to go somebody's mom Sheila, Sheila's. I think, mom or dad or something, um, has just gotten this new condo, and Courtney has to talk her mom into letting her go, because Valerie, I guess, has just started talking in the mental institution that she lives in now, and the mom wants her to wants them to go visit her, and Courtney's like, but mom, it's my birthday, I don't want to spend it in a mental institution, I really want to go, <laughs> I really want to go to this condo, and so... The mom there's, gives in, and and they there's a long scene go. of yeah. of her and her mom. You know, that was another thing that I don't think went anywhere. But I think they were trying to. Uh, you know, it's a it's a shame the movie is so inept because I feel like they had the kernel of some good things, and they were almost halfway there in execution. And one of the things that I will give the movie credit for is spending a lot of time in trying to deal with the trauma of this family after this sister was murdered in this horrible drilling incident in the previous film. Well, the sister wasn't murdered. Actually, the, actually, oh, no, the, the sisters, two sisters, Valerie sure. and Courtney, were the ones that killed the killer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They were two of the only, I think, three survivors of the whole movie. You're right. But you're right. Like, that, that could have been interesting, dealing with the aftermath of this. But it's also very bizarre because... Courtney continues to have these visions, but they're not just flashbacks. Yes. Like, all of a sudden, it's it's things that appear to be happening in real time. The rocking killer, whatever he is, is also tormenting Valerie, and Courtney is seeing it, and Valerie, Valerie warns Courtney through this vision not to go. She's like, don't go, don't go. And at first I thought she meant like, don't go to the condo. To the party. Right, which would have made all kinds of sense. But Courtney's like, what do you mean? Don't go where? And she's like, don't go all the way. (laughs) (laughs) And then in a very Freddy-like manner, and he does this throughout the whole movie, the killer drops a one-liner. In this case, it's rock and roll never dies, baby. And then he kills uh-huh. Val. He kills Val, and like 
Courtney sees it and not, like not only does she kind of see it happening like in Val's disgusting asylum cell but <laughs> Val also like appears right outside her car window and like streaks blood down the window and Courtney screams but nobody else sees anything right so I don't know her... what's going on at this point oh I still don't know what's going on I don't know if the the killer really killed Val I assume that's what happened or especially at, I mean the killer shows up at the end and everybody sees him but up through the first half of the movie I really thought maybe Courtney was just crazy yeah well this is what I, I'm gonna give the movie a little bit of credit here in that I think those were all visions and I thought that it was these were dreams daydreams visions like of a traumatized person a person who's dealing with you know a certain degree of grief they're very upset that a sister is in the mental institution it's clearly caused a rift in the family the mom is just like kind of stumbling around catatonic their dinner scene where they're just sitting there is super long and kind of boring and again this is ineptly done but i could see they were going to really play up their relationship between mom and daughter had been kind of broken because of this incident and their sis- the fact that their sister's now in this asylum. And Courtney's trying to pretend like everything is fine, especially for her mom, but we see that she's tormented by these dreams throughout the day. And these dreams, you know, I mean, that's pretty typical of dreams. They go all over the place, and they don't make a lot of sense. True. And so I thought that was actually quite nice, that they were a little confusing, and they did bring in flashbacks from the first movie, things that we didn't really understand or, or, or couldn't didn't know where they came from. Her sister talking directly to her from her crazy mental institution, which I imagine was, you know, her impression of what her sister's situation is like more than maybe the actual reality. And then my idea was that the killer is a rockabilly guy just because she's in this band and they're really into music. And so when she imagines the killer and or comes through in her dreams, that aspect of her personality kind of gets thrown in there. Because she's spending a lot of time with their friends, and they're in this band, and they're rehearsing. And so they're writing songs, and they're talking about how they're going to be big someday. Someday. We are going to be in movies and rock videos and everything. <laughs> because my song is going to be a hit. Here, here. Yeah, a million years from now when you finish writing it. And so this fantasy of hers creeps in there as well. And it also gets mixed with, um, you know, her fantasies of Matt. Right. We see this like she's daydreaming about Matt a whole lot. And then that gets poisoned by the killer. And I mean, again, it's not skillfully done, but I can see what they were going for. A traumatized person who, you know, every aspect of their life kind of, you know, gets touched by in their in their mind mentally by this thing. And so she's seeing her everywhere and people are worried about her. Yeah. Yeah. She's just spacing out. This could have been more fascinating if the movie were more interesting. So, but, but I give them credit for trying. And I also think that it's very rare in a movie, a horror movie, where we see characters sort of like break down like they really should. Like you're being chased by a mass killer who you've already seen drill through four of your friends previously and he's just inches away from you, there are going to be moments, like especially in those moments when they're quiet, she just kind of freaks out. She just breaks down in tears. And I thought it was quite realistic, actually, her acting in that. And I really felt sorry for her 
in those moments. I felt sorry for her. In the middle of this stupid movie, you know, there were moments where I actually felt sorry for her, and I was like, wow, for once I'm seeing a genuine reaction to what a woman, a person, who has already been through all this trauma, is now having to go through it herself again, would be doing. So, uh, that wasn't too bad. Yeah, and and it's... They get to the condos, and, and I thought this was kind of a cool set piece in that, like, it's this new development that seems like half of it's done, and then they're building more condos nearby, but nobody has moved in yet. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That that was pretty cool. Um and and then there are definitely like throwbacks. I, I don't know. I get these movies mixed up because they're all the same. <laughs> I, I will I will say that this one is different. It's more different than many of the others that we've seen. Oh God, yeah. But uh, it the same in that you know they get there and the girls all put on their like skimpy PJs and they have a carpet picnic with like killer corn dogs <laughs> and and then then another dance number <laughs> a, a musical mm-hmm. movie comes on tv so they have a dance number and two boys tj and jeff who are coupled up with two of the girls who aren't courtney i don't know it doesn't matter um show up and <laughs> just like i mean these two guys are almost carbon copies of two of the guys from the first movie. Yeah. And it, it's almost the exact same scene in that they knock on the door. They're early and they knock on the door and the girls don't hear because they're having a party. So instead they go around and peek in the window to see the girls, you know, having a pillow fight and shooting champagne all over one another and taking their clothes off and dancing and like feathers ah. from the pillows are flying and yes. um one of the boys in the window is even like i didn't know girls really do this like they don't bro yes like, <laughs> they don't but that was a woman uh, was made so funny this about- movie De- Deborah Brock, like, come on. Like, I have to imagine that the women who made these movies knew exactly what they were doing. And oh, yeah. I, re- I remember that the woman who directed the first one, in response to a lot of the criticism, said this criticism isn't fair. Men make these movies all the time. Why can't I make one of these movies? And I agree 100%. Yeah. So, fine. They knew what they were doing. They knew what audience they were appealing to. Yeah. But it was really stupid, and I was really pissed yeah. that they wasted all that alcohol. <laughs> but don't you think that was the point of the scene? I feel like, again, maybe giving them a little too much credit, but the movie is also not meant to be taken seriously. I mean, it's intentionally a comedy in some ways, right? It's intentionally comedic, I should say. And so I felt like this was a direct thumbing their nose at this sort of thing. Like, of course, girls don't really do this. In fact, in this movie, as opposed to a couple of the other sorority slumber out party massacres we've seen, the girls are not that skimpily dressed. They're not running around in like these negligees with barely nothing on. They come into this scene and then they start being ridiculous and like spraying champagne over each, o- each other. This one girl like del- just takes her top off and pulls her own bra off, you know, like it's funny. Mm-hmm. And the other girl is doing it and they're, not only are they having a pillow fight, but like one of them like tears open a pillow and starts sprinkling feathers everywhere. Like, 
it's like a cartoon mm-hmm. pillow fight. Yeah, it's goofy. And then I actually remembered this scene from the movie. And so when those guys looked in, just like in every other movie, and that guy says on point, I didn't know that girls actually did this sort of thing. I was like, yeah, like that's the punchline to this joke. You know what I mean? And then as soon as it's done, they clean up real fast. Like, she puts her bra on, she puts her top on, suddenly everything's dry, and they just keep on going with the movie like like that didn't just happen. Right. And from then on, there's no more nudity or anything like that. And That's true. I thought it was more of a joke, that scene. Oh, yeah, I know. I get it. It was meant to be silly and funny and playful, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just so it's just so corny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the boys come in... TJ, who is one of the most insufferable movie characters I've ever encountered, um, is Sheila's boyfriend, and they have loud sex, and that's a gag that happens several times. Courtney has another dream in which she's making out with Matt, but then Matt turns into the rocker killer. Know what you wanted. (laughs) You killed Valerie. Valerie. Oh, I've had Valerie. I'm tired of Valerie. I just want to make love to you. I am you, and you are me, until we go all the way. (laughs) Hey, baby! Love the one you win! I don't understand this it either. Like... Mm. Yeah. Apparent, like, and like, because she'd already been warned, you know, don't go all the way with the ghost killer. Like, why does he need to f- her so bad? Like, I don't, like <laughs> what is what is happening? Is this part of some ritual that I don't know about? <laughs> I she warned him. And not- why just her? Like, there's a whole bunch of other girls there. Like, why? Look- I felt like it was another reference. Like, look, this movie's full of these references, right? Like, uh, there's like an officer Voorhees, and they rename her her family name Craven. And the other officer is Officer Kruger. Kruger, you know, it's like they're obviously sticking in references to movies here. And I felt this was basically the same. Like, don't go all the way. That is. Don't have sex with anyone, especially that guy, Matt, that you're interested in, or else you're going to be targeted. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was after she had sex with him, although it's not clearly telegraphed, I'm pretty sure the timing is that after she had sex with him, or, well, we assume they had sex, they were about to anyway, that the killer sprung into reality. Am I wrong about that? Well, it's in that scene, but I don't think they even get that far like, yeah. uh, I, I don't think they get that. I, well, maybe I just, could be wrong. Maybe just the tip. Maybe that was oh, all. my God, Todd. <laughs> we have gotten through, like, almost 300 episodes without you saying just the tip. So I guess it's, I should congratulate you on that. That's God, pretty miraculous, isn't it, actually? 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> These movies bring out the 13-year-old in me that saw them the first I time. I know. Me too. I know. Me too. Um, but she wakes up after this nightmare on the kitchen floor and she's crying. And then the next 15, 20 minutes is just being tormented and going nuts. Like, yeah. TJ is a big jerk. And first of all, you know, she's not feeling well. They, they, they're all hungover. So they blame it on, blame it on hangovers. 
But TJ throws her in the pool where she nearly drowns, has more visions, and has to be rescued. Then they're eating lunch, and her hamburger is a human, a bloody human hand. But nobody else sees any of these things. But the killer is clearly taunting her because throughout, every time she sees something, every time something is weird, the killer is just maniacally laughing in the background. Yeah. Like, through the whole thing. They have more, there's another band practice, montage, long. (laughs) Then she opens the refrigerator and a raw chicken attacks her. (laughs) And then she takes a bath and the water turns into blood and the rocker is laughing. And that, this is when I wrote in my notes, okay, we are halfway into the movie and nothing has happened. Yeah. Until Sally Zit. Sally Zit. (laughs) <laughs> which may have been my favorite part of the movie <laughs> she keeps talking about it it's a- like they project this scene like there is build to this scene there is <laughs> it's great well it is kind of classic freddy though because in some of those freddy movies you know freddy kind of takes their own fears and nightmares and kind of turns them against them and clearly sally is mortified at the possibility that she might have a zit not really on her face because there's nothing there but like under her skin just waiting to come out so she's obsessing about it and she keeps saying oxy 10 do you remember oxy 10 Vaguely. Oh, God, there were so many product references in this movie. So many. Yeah, Oxy-10 was like an acne cream. I don't know if they still make it. Maybe they do. Maybe it's like Oxy-50 now or something. But, uh, yeah, you put that on your face on the zit, and it dries it out, and it's supposed to make it uh, make it go away faster. And she, but she's talking about it, like you said, constantly through the movie. And then uh, when she rushes in to help Courtney, when Courtney's freaking out, you know, screaming, ah, there's blood everywhere. And, and, you know, they go into the bathroom and it's just overflowing. There's no blood. Sally turns to her and is like, Courtney, what is the matter with you? Come on, I'm your friend. Talk to me. Hey, are you on drugs or something? I wish I was, Sally. I mean, so many weird things are happening to me. Hey, hey, I know what you mean. the weirdest things are happening to my face. I mean, I have got the fastest growing zit I have ever had in my entire life. I mean, look at this thing. I mean, is this the grossest thing you've ever seen? I go get some more Oxytan. I mean, it hurts like hell. Every time she looks up at her, it's like she has this massive zit on her face that's bigger and bigger and bigger and then it explodes <laughs> oh and you say bigger and bigger like it like it's deforming her face like oh yeah it's, it's like it's, half her face at that point yeah and it, it's you know it's it's cheap in that it's cut shots like it keeps cutting back and forth so you yeah it's not like you get to witness the progression it's just it cuts away and then it cuts back and it's worse and it cuts away and it cuts back and it's worse but by the end like it's just disgusting like it's it's a huge huge practical effect like it looks like half of her face is like melting off with this huge pussy thing in the middle Uh, and yeah I feel like it explodes all over Courtney, it's gross. Yeah, it's really disgusting. But then, this is another part that doesn't make any sense, because Matt shows up uh, to find Courtney freaking out, but Sally's missing? What? Like, did she jump out the window of the second floor or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) Where did she go? 
you're right. It sucks. It's terrible writing because somehow she's missing. There's no good reason why she would be missing, but it's a mysterious thing. And we think, oh, what's going on now? Maybe that really happened. Maybe the killer whisked her away somewhere. And they call the cops and the cops come and they hear like Courtney's like, who turned on the trash compactor? And somebody's like, I don't know. It was on when we came in here. And you start hearing these horrible noises from the trash compactor. And like they all, or at least Courtney, thinks that Sally is in the trash compactor. Why? But, but they knows? don't look. No. Nobody looks. No. And then the cops show up and basically just say what I just said. Okay, so your friend disappeared and now you think she's in the trash compactor but nobody looked and they're all like, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and then Sally just shows up. She walks in the door and they're like, "Where have you been?" and she's like, "I just stepped out to get more Oxy10." <laughs> <laughs> It's an ad for Oxy10. Just like there are ads for Diet Pepsi. There's so many product placements and product call-outs in this movie. It's hilarious. I guess this is something that Roger Corman did in the 80s. I don't remember. I don't but, know. But, uh, yeah, so the cops, you know, decide that, uh, don't you call me again. And the guy says, come on, Kruger. Danny's is holding our booth. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Another one. What's weird, though, and, and the cop scene was one of those. I was surprised at how many point-of-view shots there were in this movie. At times, when the characters are having dialogue with each other, they're looking straight at the camera like they're talking to us. And it will just be during normal dialogue scenes. And at first, I thought, you know, did the cinematographer and director on this movie, is it is it a real amateur effort that they don't know how weird this is. But then with this cop interrogation scene, it's basically the same thing. It's this very post scene where this cop is looming over and looking right at us and interrogating the audience like he's interrogating the girls. And it's, what's her name? It's, uh, it's Courtney he's talking to primarily. And all the other kids are behind also looking straight at the camera, i.e. Courtney, with kind of somewhat disapproving or concerned looks on their faces. Maybe it was a stylistic choice they were going for that could have been effective, again, if the whole movie had been better. But I found that a little intriguing. I didn't even notice, honestly. Really? <laughs> I didn't. Really? I don't know. I can't say I was really paying super close attention. <laughs> <laughs> if, there had been, if this had been like Slumber Party Massacre and they were all guys, would you have... Uh, Yes. Been watching a little more carefully. Uh-huh. For sure. This was another thing I thought at least... One thing that also I give this movie credit for, and I can't even believe I've now listed like three or four things, is that it's clearly made by women in a sense. That they give a lot more to the female gaze and the female perspective than you usually see in these movies. Than some. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, Court- Courtney's visions and fantasies of Matt. Yeah, he look- He's good. He's a good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, nice abs and all that. You can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it too much. I'll get all Twitter-pated. <laughs> but, but really... Uh, okay. Th- it was noticeable. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. It- well, with him, yeah, but then the other guy, TJ, it's not like he's not an attra- he's a fit young man and he's running around yeah. with his shirt off, but he's such a douchebag like 
there's nothing attractive about him once he starts talking. He's, oh God, and his acting is terrible. Yeah. Um, There's a scene where he dances, and I don't even know how a person's body moves that way. Like, it seemed like he was (laughs) dancing on the very tips of his toes. And, like, you're going to break your toes. I didn't know. It was weird. Do you realize he was Steve in Pumpkinhead? I saw that he was in Pumpkinhead, but I don't remember. Was he the younger brother, the nice one that we liked? I think he was the... I don't remember. I think he was, yeah, the one who was kind of apologizing, who was the one who... Yeah, um, I think he know, was. Happened. Yeah. So I guess it's, you know, it's a character deal, because we liked him in that movie, and we felt yeah. bad. He was one of the first ones to get killed, and he was actually a, a good dude. But anyway, everybody else uh, goes out to eat, except for Courtney and Matt. Matt gives her a birthday cake, and then everybody comes back. Courtney and Matt are making out in her bed, and the rocker killer appears behind matt like over like matt's i guess kind of on top of her yeah so i guess they could be doing it but if so they got right to it (laughs) 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 like foreplay be damned yeah but uh so like he's kind of on top of her uh and and she sees the killer over his shoulder and she's like no you're a dream you're not real and then he drills through Matt's beautiful torso and, yeah. and says, does this look like a dream to you? <laughs> 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 and then this is, like you said, the last 20 minutes of the movie where she runs downstairs, she's covered in blood. And of course, she's been freaking out this whole time. So it's not like any big surprise that she's freaking out. But the killer comes down right after her and starts attacking. Yeah. Just with abandon. <laughs> uh-huh. Which, let's talk about this guitar for a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's enormous. Like, it's comically large. Even the, the guitar part is just mm. comically large. And then there's an enormous, I would say, good two and a half, three foot drill on the end. Yes. And... <laughs> It flops around. Like, <laughs> it, it, oh, it's it does so in some scenes. It's comically a prop. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. And I read that the guy, the guy who plays him was only in like three movies total. And this is his claim to fame. Mm. And he was the first guy to audition. The director loved him. She she was obligated to audition more people, but when they were done, she went right back to this guy. And I guess that he was so enthusiastic in his portrayal that he broke multiple props. And I can only assume that he broke this guitar several times. Oh, yeah. Because it's <laughs> flopping around. He's, like, banging it on the floor. Like, you can see it visibly, like, bending and moving and flopping around. It, but, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I think, you know, this is a comedy. It is a horror comedy. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that they were concerned that this weapon looked particularly realistic. But yeah, yeah. from this part on, he's just chasing people around. Uh, he injures TJ right away, kills Sally. Of all of the girls... She was my favorite, so I was kind of sad she got taken out so quickly. But I knew they all would. I knew everybody would get killed except for Courtney. Yeah. Terry, Amy, and Courtney plan to make a run for it in Terry's car. They do. They leave. But then the rocker pops up in the back seat and says, This is dedicated to the one I love. These one-liners, they... uh, They're all like from songs. 
I get <laughs> what they were doing, but every time, like, my eyes rolled so far back into my head, I was afraid they would get stuck there. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, so uh, Terry gets drilled. The girls run off. Um, in another scene very reminiscent of the last movie, TJ and his girlfriend, what's her name? Juliet. No. Sheila, the actress's name is Juliet. TJ and Sheila run up to a house where there's lights on and there's music playing. And they're banging, banging, banging on the door, but nobody comes. And the and, and they uh, TJ ends up getting killed right outside this garage. And then the person comes out and looks around, doesn't see anything, is like, damn kids. I feel like the exact same thing happened yeah. in the first movie, right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Well, it was two guys in the first movie, but it was the same thing. They've solved the problem of the first movie and a lot of these movies, right? Like Halloween or wherever, where all of this mayhem is happening at this house in this suburban area, but nobody else in the surrounding homes and across the street notice anything that's going on, nor does anybody run out and try to get help from the neighbors, right. you know. In this case, there's nobody there. Yeah, there's nobody there. It's like this one house with the lights on, and they're playing classical music so loud inside that, uh, which I thought was also kind of a gag. Right. <laughs> classical music blasted in this house, and that's why they can't hear them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and you know, since everything else is so rock and roll. You know, right. It's kind of funny. Yeah. But um, Courtney calls the cops, but they don't believe her because they just think she's crazy because she seems crazy. Um. And that's when the rocker. Uh, this is it. I mean, this is the, just watch this uh. scene on YouTube. Really, like <laughs> <laughs> you really don't need to watch the whole thing. Um, the rocker breaks the fourth wall, looks directly into the camera, and says, "Now it's time for the fun part." And like these, like red and blue, like party lights come on, and he does a whole musical number. Yes. In the living room. Yes. An entire solo musical number in the living room. And then, again, this happened in the first movie, too. One of the survivors, Sheila, um, two, Courtney and, I don't know, the other girl who's still alive, are holed up in a bedroom, and they've got it barricaded. And they hear Sheila, but they also hear the killer, so they don't want to let her in. And so the killer, singing just very slowly, slowly approaches her until he finally gets to her and drills her right outside the door. Yeah. And then he and then he drills into the room and the, the two girls, uh, it's Amy and Courtney, go out onto the rooftop and there's a whole rooftop chase, which, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't poorly shot. I, I enjoyed the angles. No, it was just long. Yeah. There, there, were, there was, I mean, it was goofiest crap but there were some cool like um shots of the rocker killer just silhouetted like on a roof like in a rock and roll pos position yeah corny as hell but it yeah. looked good well, <laughs> i mean it's a neat set piece like you said that they're running around so then they kind of climb off the roofs and they're running around and all these homes that are under construction they're just studs yeah basically the yeah, bare right, basic right. framework and I'm sure they filmed the same one, you know, from it, oh, it all sure. looks the same. Yeah. And uh, I mean, honestly, there's no hiding in that. You can see from one end to the other. So it's a little silly that they're running through it and pretending to hide. But there's no real tension here because 
there's no rules for this rocker. He can no. just show up wherever he wants. And so he just does. So they can run as much as they do, and he's nowhere to be seen. And then suddenly they turn and look to their left, and there he is. Mm-hmm. And he makes some quippy one-liner. Ha, 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 Drill fires up, and he just stands there while they run off somewhere else. And so, mm-hmm. y- you know, when that's the shtick, like, there's no tension here. And so, like, the, the scene goes on forever. It's like forever yeah, it's chasing. Long. It's long and it's boring. And yeah, Amy gets slashed with the drill a couple times, but she actually dies because she falls. Um, she she stumbles and falls and is hanging by a board like a couple stories up. And Courtney tries to pull her up, but she can't. And she falls and she's dead. And then Courtney is like hiding behind a board, like not hiding at all. And the killer is just just like lounging right behind her, just looking at her. And uh, she turns around. He says something. I don't know. Come on, baby. Light my fire is what he says. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, I will. And she grabs a blowtorch, I guess. Yeah, that happens to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and burns him up. And he screams and falls off. And then it cuts to the next morning. And we see, um, you know, Courtney's fine. She's still alive. The police are there. There's lots of people around. They're wheeling Amy's body to, and I mean, she's dead. So I don't know if they're taking it to an ambulance or a whatever. Um, but uh, Courtney pulls down the sheet and is like stroking Amy's hair. And Amy's eyes open up and she starts laughing in the killer's voice. But then Courtney wakes up again in her bed, in the condo, with Matt. And so for just a split second, I was thinking, oh, maybe it was a dream. But having seen these types of movies a hundred times, I knew it wouldn't be. So she, like, she wakes up with Matt and she starts, like, snuggling him. But then it turns out that it's the rocker again. And she now is in an asylum. Look, the same set piece that we saw Valerie in before. And the last thing that we see is the giant drill come up through the floor of the asylum as Courtney is screaming. Yeah. And that's the end. It's like Inception. It's like dreams within dreams within dreams. You don't even know what reality is anymore. It's really taking us into her mental state. Right, maybe she's been in the asylum the whole time. Maybe mm. none of this ever happened. Maybe her sister didn't even exist, and in the first movie... <laughs> <laughs> maybe the first movie didn't even happen. Whoa. Maybe she was born in the asylum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she's the daughter of 10,000 maniacs or something. <laughs> Could be. We'll have to watch Slumber Party Massacre 3 to find out the truth. Uh, can we wait a little while? <laughs> Uh, I I need a break (laughs) I I did not really enjoy watching this movie there were parts of it I enjoyed I did enjoy actually the musical number just because of how silly it was but it was very earnestly done and actually I don't think he was too bad I really think he, he he did a pretty decent job with what he had to work with I mean, considering, and I again, I want to go back to, I just, I think it's really interesting, not just by the dream sequences of Matt, you know, talking about this, this movie's quite different from this genre in period, really, in that 
it seems to kind of skip over the male gaze a lot. And when it does deal with the male gaze, it's almost a joke, right? It's like yeah. that p- stupid, silly, over-the-top pillow fight where you get two boobs and nothing else. And, I mean, you've got women in this movie. You have um, the woman who played... Uh, Amy. Amy, yeah. was Kimberly McCarthy, the one with the huge boobs. Huge boobs. And I would thought, okay, well, surely she's going to get nude, and she didn't. Nope, it was in her contract. She was a former Playboy playmate. Yeah, but 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 it was but it was in her contract. She yeah. she had she had done boobs in the last three movies she had done, and she wanted to try to move away from it. I'm just you know I I'm and she must have had some clout to get that in her well, uh, yeah. contract because as we know. You know, the standard of the day was, well, you don't want to show your boobs. Well, we'll find somebody who will. Right. Yeah, maybe her, you know, limited star power as a playmate and having been in several movies, maybe that was enough to give her a little bit of leverage, I guess, because she didn't take her top off. It was noticeably absent. Even the swimming pool scene and stuff was not gratuitous. It was like the very, very big opening credits is like going over Courtney's body while she's sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this is jumping right in with gratuitousness. But actually, Mm -hmm. she's in the most conservative pajamas you could imagine. Yeah, she's pretty modestly dressed throughout. But, you know, she is the final girl, and the final girl usually is... You know, but I mean, the more virginal one. But I, I see what you're saying. It's I a Roger Corman movie, too. You know, like, right. I mean, it's weird enough for a Roger Corman movie that we didn't get more boobs and, and stuff in here. So, I mean, for that, I think, you know, it's notable. The movie's called Slumber Party Massacre 2. You get way more massacre than Slumber Party out of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't watch it again. I wouldn't really recommend it to anybody. Mm. It's rather silly. Like you said, it, it's it's not a bad little Halloween movie, perhaps, except for the fact that pretty much nothing happens for the first 50 minutes. Uh, yeah. You know, I said earlier that I feel like it could make a good stage production. I think that the reason I say that is just the musical elements of it. I think the musical elements of it would seem a little bit less out of place on stage. Oh yeah. Um, but but even even just in a you know a midnight movie you know if if in a theater surrounded by other people who are there for the same reason as you to goof and to have a good time you know is I'm sure as soon as that guy looked at the camera and said now it's time for the fun part and then broke out into song at a midnight screening i'm sure people would have gone absolutely nuts yeah and, for sure and and that that would be fun um but uh yeah i mean just just sitting and watching it in your house like <laughs> pass fair enough All right, well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend and let us know. Just Google us, Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast, and you will find our webpage. You'll find our Facebook. You'll find our Twitter. Leave us a message any one of those places, like Ashley did, and uh, let us know what movies you would like us to review in the future. Until that time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Chainsaw.